those of you who I don't know in particular, my name is Kondo. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Mission Point. And uh, this morning, I have the privileged task of continuing a series that we started last week, a series that we are calling Strangers. Strangers. Um, it's uh, a strange series title, but it's one that I trust will become more and more meaningful um, to us. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you belong to a better kingdom. I'm not arguing with whether or not you have citizenship in the countries of men, but you belong to a better kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. That is where your primary citizenship actually is. And as someone who belongs to a better kingdom, to the kingdom of God, we take our cues from Our culture is primarily informed by that better kingdom. We belong to a better kingdom. And we belong to a better kingdom right now. Not just one day when we die. We belong to a better kingdom right now. Because when Jesus showed up, he said, hey, the kingdom has now come. We belong to it right now. And this better kingdom to which we belong introduces us to and it invites us into a better way of everything. In this series, we want to learn what it looks like to live in light of the kingdom to which we ultimately belong. In this series, we want to learn what it looks like to live in light of a better way. A better way. But warning, living in light of a better kingdom is not like living in light of the kingdoms of man. It's not like living in light of the countries in which we live. It is going to feel a little bit strange. Matter of fact, if you don't feel strange walking through this earth. It should alert you to the fact that maybe you belong here. But we belong to a kingdom. And as we live in light of that kingdom, we are going to feel strange. Because the principles that govern that kingdom are foreign to the kingdom in which we live. If you have a copy of the Bible, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 5. A section of scripture that's famously referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus is giving a sermon on a mountain. And uh, we, we want to, to listen and, and we want to, to learn and we want to lean into what Jesus teaches about living in light of this better kingdom. Matthew chapter 5, um, verse 1. I'm going to read the first three verses. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them because the matters of the kingdom are the affairs of followers of Jesus. Not just fans of Jesus, not just crowds who follow Jesus around casually, but the matters of the kingdom, living in light of the kingdom is for followers of Jesus. And so Jesus begins to teach his followers about his kingdom and he said... Verse 3, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And with that, he begins teaching the principles of his kingdom. And I love the fact that Jesus begins this teaching, the first words out of Jesus' mouth to those who have crowned him king and chosen to follow him with their lives is the word blessed. I love that the first announcement of this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is an announcement blessed. Because the invitation to live in light of his kingdom is an invitation to live life blessed. If you've ever wondered what living in light of the kingdom is like, blessed. I don't know what kind of life you've been living to this point, but living in light of the... Blessed. If you've ever wondered if it is worth following Jesus up hills and through battles, Jesus says to y'all who are following me, blessed. First word out of his mouth. If you've ever wondered if following Jesus is the right call, if you've ever wondered if it is worth what you might lose in following after Jesus, blessed, he says. If you've ever wondered if it might be better to go back and just roll with the crowd in the kingdoms of men, Jesus says, keep following. This path is called blessed. The invitation to live in light of the kingdom is an invitation to live life blessed. Not easy, But blessed, if living under heaven's blessing is not your thing, then hey, listen, as you were. But if blessed is of interest, come follow Jesus and learn to live in light of a better kingdom. And it's so interesting. Uh, this word um, blessed, it's, it's a good one. You, you're, going to, you're going to like it. The word blessed, we'll put it up on the screen here, means to be completely Happy. It's this picture of being consumed by and covered in happiness. I don't know if you knew that. I'm just telling you, I did not know that growing up in the church. And Jesus is not talking about that contextual happiness where I'm kind of happy if I'm hanging out at the scene with a certain group of people. He's not talking about that circumstantial happiness that I feel these these bouts and doses of happiness as long as my team is winning. And as long as the political party I happen to favor seems to be in the lead. He's not talking about circumstantial happiness. He's talking about that consuming joy that courses through my bones on account of the fact that I'm breathing. He's talking about standing beneath the flood of heaven's best happiness. Help me, Lord, I can't get away from this happiness 
kind of happiness. It means to be completely happy. And I just want to invite you to start practicing now. And God willing, in a few weeks, it's going to become a part of your natural soul's vocabulary. Because we are going to be seeing this word blessed show up over and over and over in this section of scripture. Jesus will repeat Happy, happy, happy over and over in this section of scripture to those who have chosen to follow him, crown him king and live in light of his kingdom. And I'm just telling you, you should start practicing now and maybe your soul is going to get used to it. Whenever you see the word blessed show up in this passage, you can feel free to replace it with the phrase, oh, how completely happy. Oh, how completely happy. And maybe in a few weeks, your soul will start to catch up with the new realities of the kingdom. Oh, how completely happy. You've got to throw in the oh. That's how Jesus introduces his kingdom. Living in light of my kingdom is living life. Happy. Oh, how completely happy. I don't know about you, but if complete happiness is on the table, if it's a thing, I think I want some. Matter of fact, I know I want some on account of the fact that I spend the majority of my life's energies chasing after what I believe is going to introduce happiness into my life. And most of the time, it is circumstantial. Most of the time, it's contextual, it's a little bout, and then it's gone. I know for a fact, I long for happiness. If you're telling me there is some, oh, complete happiness out there, consider me interested. Thankfully, Jesus teaches us how we can begin to experience the, oh, complete happiness of Life in the kingdom. And it is strange, y'all. And the minute we even read this passage, it's going to feel anticlimactic. And it is going to feel like uh, this is not how it works here in this world. Mm. We belong to a better kingdom. Did you see it in the first part of verse 3? Jesus says... Oh, how completely happy are the poor in spirit. What? In what universe? I'm telling you, if you try and live kingdom life in human terms, what? Jesus says, if you want happiness... Find poverty. No, Jesus. Let's teach you how it actually works. Because in the kingdom, the people who are poor in spirit are the people who are completely happy. That doesn't make sense. That feels upside down. Feels strange. 
If you want happiness, start with poverty. Um, if, if you can replace the word blessed with a phrase, oh, how completely happy. Then you can replace the words poor in spirit with the phrase, oh, how completely helpless. All right, this is not getting any better. In the kingdom of heaven, happy are the helpless. If you are not helpless, you will not be happy in the kingdom. That's not how it works in this world. That might be why there is a famine of true and complete happiness. You want to learn to be happy? Learn to be helpless. Now. This idea does not mean helpless in the sense that I can't do anything. <laughs> Otherwise, I can, I can hear my teenagers right now. I'm just practicing helplessness, Dad. I can't do anything, okay? <laughs> like, no, clean your room. Um, this doesn't mean I can't do anything. It just means I cannot do anything that gets me Anywhere with God. Nothing. Um, practice that. Because that sense of yes I can has to die in me. If I'm going to live in light of the kingdom and begin to experience complete happiness. There is nothing I can do that will ever gain me any credit. With God. Nothing. There is nothing I have in and of myself. That God needs. Or frankly. Even finds desirable. If I walk into the heavenly storehouse. There is not a single thing on the shelves that I can afford. Nothing. I have nothing God finds desirable. I am spiritually helpless before God. This is how Paul describes some of these truths in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3 verse 10. Here's what it, it says. As it is written. There is no one righteous. Not even one. Definitely not you. Certainly not me. There is no one who gets it. There is no one who seeks after God. All of us have turned away from him. And we have together and our culture will not like this. Become worthless. 
There is no one who does good, not even one. In Romans chapter 8 verse 7, Paul says this, The mind that is governed by the flesh, meaning my mind in and of itself, my natural human mind, is hostile to God. Wants nothing. I don't want to be governed by him. I don't want him telling me what to do. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. That is how our natural minds function. And this natural mind does not submit to God's law. And here's the clincher. Nor can it do so. Even if it wanted to, although we've established, doesn't want to. No one seeks God. Verse 8 says, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. We are helpless before God In and of ourselves, we are spiritually bankrupt. And there is nothing we have or are able to do to change or to fix that. I have nothing of value to offer God. Oh, how completely helpless in his presence. In the kingdom... Complete happiness starts there. I have nothing that impresses God or pleases God. There's nothing I can do to earn or gain any credit with him. There is nothing in me that he finds compelling or desirable. That is so hard. For us to hear, let alone accept, in a culture of self-esteem and a culture of self-worth. Our culture pushes the other way. No, no, no. You've got to find in yourself that sense of worth and confidence and swag so that when you walk into your room, you know who you are. You've got to spend thousands and thousands of dollars sitting with people who remind you all of these appealing virtues about you that make you oh so special. And in fact, if you ever struggle with a sense of self-esteem, we will show up to remind you, oh no, no, no. Let us list all the ways In which we are all just lucky to have you. Now. You are going to immediately start to feel and find the tension in the midst of that. And some of you are feeling it deeply right now. We emphasize finding that deep sense of worth. If you don't know your worth, you can't walk without confidence that attracts good things to you. It starts with you finding self 
confidence. Getting rid of some of those toxic things and, and toxic people so you can discover within you your new you emerging to meet the world. It starts with you learning to love yourself. Because if you don't love yourself, how can anyone else love you? That's the language of the culture in which we live. That may be fine and good for your job interview or your dating profile. But hear me in love. Please hear me. That self-worth, self-confidence, self-love is absolutely useless in the presence of God. Please hear me. It is absolutely useless in the presence of God. It will gain you absolutely nothing. You can find the best you and the, the, the most beautiful aspect. It will gain you nothing in the, if you do not embrace that. Complete happiness will be elusive to you. Doesn't matter how good you feel about yourself. Self-worth, self You are coming before our holy God who is flawless, perfect in every way. He is self-sustaining and self-sufficient. He needs nothing from anybody. Doesn't matter how many habits you break or cut out this year to make you feel like a new you. It gets you nowhere. With God. In fact, it actually might be the thing keeping you from enjoying complete happiness in the kingdom because you end up showing up in the presence of God spiritually rich. In fact, you've worked so hard on getting to this place of, of just feeling your own worth. That you now bring that stuff into the presence of God, feeling a sense of spiritual wealth, rich in spirit, believing you have something God just has to have. If you believe that, you are spiritually rich. You must be. Because you can shop in the storehouse of heaven now. That will keep you away from happiness. And I fear there's a little too much spiritual wealth in the church. Um, we don't say it ever. That's not how it shows up. But we feel it. And we act like it. Like God owes us something. Ooh, we got so mad and I'm not speaking to God. Why not? Well, because he, he did not answer the prayer I prayed the way I wanted him to when I wanted him to. Oh, you must really believe God owes you something. Well, I wouldn't say it that way. But my Anger, I, I, suppose, I suppose I believe he owes me something. What? 
When did God start owing you? When I found the new me and I believe that I am worth and I deserve and you've got to speak what you deserve. (laughs) Trust me, in the presence of God, you never want to speak what you deserve. That is not a good situation. We don't say it, but we believe painful things should never happen to us. You should see the church when we feel like we're losing. What? Us? Nay. Now, painful things can happen to those people or those people on that side of the aisle. That's fine. But to us, this should not be happening. What? Because you're what? We're special. Not saying, but I'm just saying. And we act like spoiled, spiritual, rich brats. Like life is not supposed to be hard. Not how it works in the kingdom. But it shows we believe we have something that God is obligated to treat us a little bit different. Our life should look a little bit different than it looks right now. Or we'll walk around and I'm sorry to say it this way, but we'll kind of pout carrying our guilt pouch around. Which just proves a sense of spiritual wealth. Why? Oh man, I just don't know. I just have messed up so much. I just feel like God is done with me. I just, how can he seriously love me? After what I just did and and the way I I, I messed up. I'm like, oh. You really believe that your good behavior purchases love from God because now that your bad behavior has shown up, you've now lost credit. Uh, What? If you think that your good behavior earns you some love with God, that's a sign that you feel spiritually wealthy. I think there's a little too much spiritual wealth in the church, which might explain why there's a little too little. Oh, how completely happy. If you don't believe happy are the helpless, then let me just ask you, how are we doing with feeling very self-confident and self-sufficient? Hasn't worked for me. Jesus says, the most happy are the most helpless. If you believe you have something that obligates or impresses God... You will hold heaven's happiness at a distance. So what do we do to start to move towards the reality of spiritual poverty? I can't believe we're talking about that. The kingdom is weird. And all of a sudden we're like, yes. Let's chase spiritual poverty. It's strange. In what other room would we be having a conversation like that and be okay with it? What does this look like? I think it's 
really, really simple. I think it starts with admitting it. Just admit it. Um, the beauty, <laughs> the beauty of spiritual poverty, being spiritually poor, the beauty of helplessness <laughs> is you don't actually have to work on it. You already are. It's not something you have to now go out and try and find. You are spiritually helpless. It's a fact. All that's left is for me to learn the art of admitting it. You know how you got issues in your marriage? You don't have to go work on getting issues in your marriage. We just need to be real with each other, right? Well, what issues? The problem is not that whether or not we have issues. The problem is we hate admitting it. Because in the kingdom of men, blessed are the perfect marriages. It's, it's the process of admitting it. Jesus is not asking us to empty ourselves spiritually. He's inviting us to acknowledge we are already empty. There's nothing in my hands I can bring to you. Complete happiness is for the person who knows and regularly admits I have nothing to offer God that he needs. That takes practice to admit because some of you showed up to church and you feel like you did God a favor and your week should go better. And so Tuesday you'll be super mad because things aren't, I went to church. God's like, oh, my bad. You're right. You're right. I owe you. Move, train. <laughs> Let my child through. I think there's still an overabundance of self-righteousness and self-sufficiency in the church. Again, it shows up in the way we respond to people who we believe are just wrong. I cannot believe they, how could they do that? Ugh, those people. If you ever find yourself talking like that, you are talking like a snooty rich kid. Ugh, how could they? No, it's the art of admitting, if it wasn't for him, I would be, I have nothing in and of myself. Admit it. Admit it. Otherwise we are holding complete happiness at arm's length. And I'm telling you it is a practice of saying these things over and over. Even if it's just a phrase that you are learning to repeat. And that's why you hear some old saints just talking about but for grace. Like, what does that mean? Grace is a but. What does that, you know, no but for grace. It's this way of saying like, if it wasn't for the grace of God. If it wasn't for the work of Jesus. But for grace. But grace. 
I don't know what the phrase is, but we have to, to learn to admit it. Because by admitting it, we start to re in essence recondition our spiritual sense of wealth. And I think to go along with that is to appreciate it. To appreciate it. I believe poverty in the spirit is reinforced with gratitude. You will stop saying thank you when you believe something is your right. Or you're entitled to it. Right? I mean, you should see the difference between somebody who went out to eat for the first time at a restaurant and somebody who goes on a weekly date. It is what it is. It's what we do. I think where there is a shortage of gratitude, it's an evidence that we've become entitled. Like, it is our right To experience what we're experiencing right now. And I think there is an art. To expressing. Gratitude. Because when you know you had nothing to offer. You appreciate everything. I would invite you to just say thank you for as many things as often as possible to remind your soul we deserved nothing but the wrath of God. And yet here we are talking about thank you God for the breath in my lungs. And thank you God for these annoying children I get to chase around today. Find an excuse to thank him for Everything as a way of reminding yourself you deserve nothing. Well, but I went to work. (sighs) Thank you for the breath in my lungs without which I would not be able to work a day in my life, literally. But I still have a roof over my head. Thank you. I don't deserve that. We will spend some... I shouldn't have this. I should have. Come on. Change the narrative. Thank you that I still have this. And most definitely. The art of constantly thanking God. For the person and work of Jesus on the cross. Because while we were still sinners. (laughs) While we had nothing to offer. He offered himself. For us, while we were worthless, he covered us with his righteousness and lent us his worth. And so now I step into the presence of God, not because I have anything to offer, but because I'm with him. Thank you for Jesus. God, if I haven't said it lately, thank you for Jesus. I stand in your presence and I get to sing these songs and you don't zap me with flames. Thank you for Jesus. It is something I think the church has lost sight of almost like we believe we're entitled to Jesus. But grace, y'all. 
I don't know what it looks like to just reintroduce into your story a constant thank you for Jesus. Which is, by the way, one of the reasons why I refuse to end a prayer without saying in Jesus' name. It's not a magic statement. It's an acknowledgement that if it wasn't for Jesus, I would not be able to talk to you right now. So I speak to you in the name of Jesus. I come to you in... I should constantly be finding excuses to thank God for the cross. To thank God for Jesus. And his robe of righteousness. Yeah, you can whisper under your breath even right now. Thank you, Jesus. If you have nothing to offer, you're going to appreciate Jesus. When you deserved death, He gave you the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom. How did we get the kingdom of heaven? Can you imagine somebody who believes they deserve nothing? I got the kingdom. Look what I have. Hey, I hear you have to wear a mask. I know, but I got the kingdom. Tell me you don't think the church will just be a little happier all the time. I don't deserve it. It changes our perspective. As we live. In light of. Our poverty. Um, I've been reading a children's picture Bible to the younger three girls in our home. And um, I share that with you because it it, um, makes me sound like a more spiritual parent than you are. Let's pray. Um, Man, I was struck by how mesmerized they were as I read through the creation account. Like I was lying to them. Whoa! Really? Um, Over and over they said. Um, The idea that God just kept calling things out of nothing. And they existed because he said so. Just tripped their little minds for days. I, um, what's he going to say next? You know, and I'd exaggerate, I'd exaggerate it too. And he said, the lights. And they're like, whoa, is that what it sounds like? I'm like, no, but I don't mind you thinking that when I tell you to sit down, right? Um, and the galaxies started spinning in place and the sun went up into the sky and it it started spinning and the moon went up simply because he said so. Whoa! And he said animals. And a chihuahua and a kangaroo jumped up out of the earth and started hopping about on the scene because he said so. Whoa! And he said plants. And the grapevine and the pine tree, they showed up giving grapes and cones and whatever they give simply because he said so. Whoa! They literally acted like I was lying to them as they were mesmerized by this creative speaker. And I was like, oh, 
God help me to get back to that level of wonder. Um, and yet I realize we have a chance to, <laughs> we have a chance at it here in Matthew chapter 5. It occurred to me that I, 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 I ought not to just admit my spiritual poverty and appreciate everything that I have, I should learn to accept the words of Jesus. It struck me. It struck me that the same voice that said, let there be light, is the same voice that says, blessed are the poor in spirit. I don't know why that struck me so deeply. And I think part of it is because I have so seldom experienced complete happiness that I have grown to believe it may be a myth or, or maybe it's not really a thing or maybe it's really for us after we die and we go to heaven. But it, it occurred to me, no My soul needs to learn to accept what he has declared to be true. Because here's how I function. I say no completely happy are the people who feel happy. I'm happy because I feel happy right now. And if I don't feel happy, then happiness is not a thing. So it starts with what I'm feeling right now. In the kingdom, it always starts with what the king says. If Jesus says, as you admit your helplessness, and as you learn to appreciate, there is nothing you have that I need. So everything is a gift. You are going to start to experience complete happiness because I said so. And it occurred to me, I have to learn to accept that. I have to learn to agree with what Jesus has said. And it will take a while for my soul to break out of my natural tendency to say, but I'm not feeling it that way quite yet. Which is what makes me quit and start to do things the way I did them before. But I love Jesus is not asking you. Whether or not you would like to be completely happy if you are poor in spirit. He is declaring it is exactly what you are. And I realize that there is this element in which I want to learn to accept what Jesus has declared. And therefore I want to learn to repeat what Jesus has declared to my soul. And it reminded me why the psalmist is saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. Why do you have to tell your soul to do that? Because it naturally won't. I naturally won't start to, to interpret or experience happiness because I didn't feel it. So it must not be true. And I'll take 15 steps back. But I think here, we get to choose to accept this principle of the kingdom. 
And one of the things we get to do is repeat it over and over and over. Man, the stars aligned in my home the other day and it was awful. All the little girls who I'm using as illustrations today, I realize, got the hyperbug at the same time. If you've ever seen a Haitian hurricane, it was happening in our home. They were so hyper. They're doing cartwheels in the kitchen, tugging. Can I brush your hair, dad? I'm like, you can try, but I don't see this being a successful endeavor. And they are yelling and they are loud. And it's just super, super, super chaotic in the house. And so I said to them what I normally say, like, man, some people sound really tired. Are you guys tired? No. We are not tired, right? If you're a parent, you've had that experience with your kids. Not because you're wrong, but because, dad, what part of my hypervigilance right now makes you think I'm tired? And yet I understand as a parent, listen, listen, your body just hasn't yet learned to interpret reality. You are interpreting how you feel right now. I have the privilege of telling you what you actually are. I'm not tired and I'll say to them, okay, well, thankfully it's bedtime. Thank the good Lord. Lay down and just try and stay awake as long as you. Hello? Hello? And they are out. And I am so excited about this series because I feel like that's what's going to start to happen to us. Our bodies, our souls are so accustomed to what we felt and what we've experienced that it's going to take a while for us to actually start to live in light of what he has declared. That as you start to admit your spiritual poverty, you are going to start to experience Complete happiness. It may not be what you think. It may not be what you've ever experienced before. But if he says it, then we've got to repeat and we've got to acknowledge and agree with him in that. And I look forward to that practice. And weekly, we are going to encourage you to repeat something that the kingdom says. And let the reality of our soul catch up with what he has said. These Principles of the kingdom are going to be strange to us. And it's going to require us staying in them, practicing them, rehearsing them, repeating them, and then beginning to see them become realities in our lives. And so, Father, I do pray that you would give each of us the humility to acknowledge our spiritual poverty. And to realize that The spiritually poor are happy in your kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that you would remind us to be grateful for everything and to express our appreciation to you. And Jesus, if you declare, oh, how completely happy are those who acknowledge their spiritual poverty. Help us to trust what you say is true and let our feelings start to catch up with the realities of the kingdom. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.